This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Join me in your Bibles, please, in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. I want you to go ahead and plant a flag there. Uh, I want you to go on a journey with me. We're going we're gonna to walk a little ways before we get to Nehemiah 8. But if you stay with me, we'll get there together and see what the Lord has for us. I'd like to ask us to pray together and ask God to bless this time. Father, we are desperately in need of you to glean from your word what we ought to. And we ask for your grace and the work of your spirit to do just that. Help us give your word our full attention and full, uh, our full hearts, our open hearts to receive whatever it is you have for us. Would you teach us tonight? Would you guide us? Would you help us to obey? We love you. We thank you for your word and the work of your spirit. May we be obedient to both. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there are certain things that are a constant struggle in life. And one of those things is keeping things clean. My wife and I were talking about this just a few days ago, and uh, she pointed out one reason it's so challenging for us personally. See, when you get to the point where you have three children, uh, you pass a, 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 an important threshold. You're outnumbered. <laughs> so even if both of us are working together uh, constantly to keep the house clean, there are three other people in the house who are working constantly to mess it up. So it feels like a losing battle. But let's be honest, even if you don't have three little kids, keeping things clean can be a challenge. Uh, I can't blame my kids for my struggles to keep my office or my car uh, clean and free of clutter. It's just, it's difficult. It's a challenge. You've really got to keep up with keeping things clean or it can become a seemingly insurmountable task. And that's one of the reasons that many people around this time of year do a thing they call spring cleaning. Because they've let things go, uh, it's built up, there are, there are things that have been neglected, and so they'll dive in and try to take care of months worth of work all at the same time. And catch up from what they've left behind. You know, it's very easy for us to let things get nasty, to just let the junk pile up. And sadly, I think that there are parallels in our Christian lives. Most Christians don't just one day all of a sudden dive into some heinous sin. Or just one day go, go straight to where they're saying, I'm not reading the Bible anymore. I'm not praying anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. Instead, it's something often that's the spiritual equivalent of dirt and junk that just builds up over time. It can be kind of like that garage that you long since gave up parking your car in because it's become a repository for junk. That can happen in our lives spiritually. So what do we do when we realize that our spiritual lives have become dirty, become cluttered, and something needs to be done about it? What does spiritual spring cleaning look like? Well, there are a lot of different aspects of, of this that we could look at tonight. Uh, many valid things that we could look at in scripture that, that appertain to this idea. But I want to focus on one, 
a principle, a facet of this that I think is really at the heart of spiritual spring cleaning. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul talks uh, about Christ's amazing relationship with the church. And in verse 26 of Ephesians 5, he says that Christ gave himself for the church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So this gives us a a picture, a glimpse at what Christ's desire is for his church. Uh, the way that he wants his church to be, and what in eternity we can look forward to. But it's also what he's seeking to do now. And what is the means by which Christ intends to clean and purify his church, according to this verse? It's the washing of water by the word. God wants to use his word to purify us to cleanse us, to make us spiritually vibrant and useful for him. The fact is, that sort of washing of the water of the word uh, needs to be happening regularly, or we will get dull and carnal and spiritually useless. If our lives are not regularly being washed in the water of the word, then the spirit is not going to be able to have free reign in our lives. It'll be kind of like that house or that shed or that garage that's full of clutter and can't be used for its proper purpose. Tonight, with the help of God's Spirit, I want to challenge each of us to examine our hearts. Perhaps tonight you would say, spiritually, I really need a good washing. Things are not what they ought to be. Things are spiritually far from where God would have them to be. My spiritual life is full of junk and clutter, and I am unuseful to God. I am in desperate need of that spiritual spring cleaning. Maybe tonight you would say, you know, things can always be better, but I am, to the best of my knowledge, pure before God, and I'm consistently experiencing the cleansing of his word. Either way we are going to consider some principles together tonight that can be helpful to all of us. Because the question for us is, if the word of God is the instrument for spiritual cleansing, what does that look like? How do we need to come to God's word to experience that cleansing? Sometimes we can think of a verse like Ephesians 5.26 and the washing of the water of the word and we can think that just means I need to dump Bible on myself every chance I get. So I need to read more chapters of the Bible. I need to listen to audio Bible. I need to listen to Bible sermons. I need to make sure I have Bible artwork in my home. I need a Bible verse as the background on my phone. I need to have Bible verses written on three by five cards in my pocket all the time. Just any way I can get Bible into my life. That's how I experience the washing of the water of the word. Just every chance I get, pouring it in. Well, all of those things can be valid and helpful in their place. But you can be exposed to the Bible a lot and not truly experience its cleansing power. Just coming in contact with God's word is not enough. And so we need to think long and hard about the way that we approach God's word and how we receive it.
because that's going to be key if we're truly going to be experiencing that washing of the water by the word. And so that's why we're in Nehemiah chapter 8 tonight. We find an interesting story in this chapter. Nehemiah has led a group of exiled Jews back to Jerusalem. And under his leadership, they have rebuilt the wall of the city. And now, as they continue to try to rebuild the infrastructure of Jerusalem, Nehemiah and the other leaders realize they also need to work to rebuild the spiritual and social infrastructure as well. An important element in that rebuilding is going to be the reintroduction of the law. So they have in their possession a copy of the book of Moses, what we would think of as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They have that with them, and Nehemiah, who's the civic leader, and Ezra, who's kind of the spiritual leader, know that the people need to be reintroduced to the law of God. And so with that in mind, they plan a day where all the people are going to gather together, and they build this wooden platform, and on this day, all of the people gather together around this wooden platform. So look with me at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Now, tonight I want us to work down through this passage together. And as we do that, I want to notice some of the elements of how these people received the word of God. Because if you look at this chapter you, you can watch the word of God having this cleansing effect on these people. And so how is it that they were coming to God's word? And what can we learn from that about the way that we need to come to God's word, the attitude we ought to have, uh, the way we ought to view the Bible so that we too can experience that cleansing power? So right off the bat in these first three verses, I noticed two things about how these people are interacting with God's word. First, volume. They are getting a lot of it. Now, I just said that bathing in the water of the word isn't all about just being exposed to as much of the Bible as possible. And I stand by that statement. But that doesn't mean that the amount of God's word we're getting is unimportant. Notice that Ezra read the law to the people from the morning until midday. Now, I don't know exactly how long that was, but I imagine that at the very shortest, it was at least two hours. It was probably more like three or four or even more. And they're gathered together listening to the Pentateuch being read for that long. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I don't know exactly what part of it they were in at that point. We can tell later on that they, were, they had gotten to the book of Leviticus. But these people are sitting there soaking this in for hours on end. That is a high volume of God's word. 
Now, volume isn't everything, like I said. It's not that the person who reads more scripture is going to be more spiritual. It's not just that if we get to a certain threshold, then, then God's word will do its cleansing work in our lives. But it is important that we're having a steady, healthy intake of God's word. We can't just... <sighs> To, to use an analogy, you can't take a bath in a teacup. And sometimes we can come to God's word and we say, I just need to get my power verse for the day. I just need to get a little bit of inspiration and just get that little, little bit of God's word and I'll, I'll splash that in my face and now I'm clean for the day. We need to be coming and we need to be taking in large portions of God's word. The volume matters. Notice also in these verses their attention. It says, the ears of all the people were attentive onto, onto the book of the law. This can be a challenge for all of us when it comes to God's word. Whether it's uh, God's word being preached, whether it's us reading God's word, sometimes our mind just seems so intent on wandering. You can be reading a page of scripture and realize, I got absolutely nothing from that. Or you can be listening to an audio Bible and you come to the end of a chapter and realize, my mind was a hundred miles away. I didn't hear any of that. Or, I'm sure this is true of none of you, but you can be sitting in the auditorium and somebody's preaching and you realize, wait, I missed three points. (laughs) Our attention can just be all over the place. And I want to challenge you and challenge myself at the same time. Attention is a skill that can be developed. We can train ourselves to pay attention. Sometimes we we think it's just all up to how we feel and, and whether or not we're going to be able to just feel like paying attention. No, we can make ourselves pay attention. And we need to train ourselves that way to give our attention wholeheartedly to God's word. These people were listening with everything as God's law was being read. But there's much more we can learn from their example. So let's uh, look back at Nehemiah 8. Um, Verse 4 tells us about a bunch of guys who were standing with Ezra on the wooden platform. I'm not going to read that verse. It's got a lot of names, and I'm sure I would stumble over one of them. This is not unimportant. I want to be clear. The names in Scripture are not unimportant. Um, These were people who were supporting work. They were helping get God's word out. But picking up in verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The attitude with which these people approached God's word was one of reverence. Ezra began his reading of God's word with a word of praise to God. The people, as he opened God's word, they stood out of respect. I don't know if they were instructed to do so or if it was just something they naturally said, we need to stand in respect to God's word. But they stood to respect God's word. And then as he uttered this, as Ezra uttered this praise to God, the people responded, amen, we agree with you, absolutely. We want to praise the Lord as well. They lift their hands in praise to God. They bow their heads. 
They look to the ground as they worship God. There's this reverence. It goes back to what we considered this morning, the fear of God. It's, it's connected with their view of God's word. And it's affecting the way that they're coming to God's word. One of the dangers of great familiarity with the Bible is our tendency to treat it flippantly. To treat it on par with other books. And I, I personally have to watch myself because I can be tempted to study the Bible academically without treating it reverently. Now, I'm not talking right now about how we treat this physical book. All right, That's another subject for another time. What I'm talking about is our attitude towards what's in here, what this truly is, the word of God. We ought to have an awe before the God of the Bible as we come to the Bible. We ought to have a heart of worship to him as we come and open up these pages. It ought to be something that cannot be in our hearts and and minds disconnected from the Bible. That we cannot come to the Bible without standing in awe of the God of the Bible. That we cannot approach the Bible without reverence. Our consideration of scripture must be reverently God-centered. Continuing on here in Nehemiah chapter 8, in verses 7 and 8, it talks about there were those who went among the people explaining to them the meaning of the words that Ezra was sharing. So they're helping the people understand what God's word says and what it means for their lives. Then picking up in verse 9 is what I think is a very interesting portion of this passage. Verse 9, and Nehemiah, which was the Tershatha, that's a title for the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God, mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Now what's going on here? The people hear the word of God, and they begin to mourn and weep. Why is that? Well, have you ever come face to face with the truth of God's word, and realized how sinful and wicked you are in light of that truth? The Jews here are realizing how much of God's law they've been neglecting. Sometimes that realization leads us to tears, to feeling like dirt. I think too of uh, another place in the Old Testament when King Josiah, when God's word is brought out and it's read, and he, he, he tears his clothes. He says, what have we been doing? We've disobeyed so much of God's law. And we can come face to face with what God says and, and, and we, we think, wow, I'm so far off from that. 
And we can really have this, this sorrow, this mourning in response to God's word. And sometimes we can think that is a really spiritual feeling. We can think it's really spiritual to feel rotten about ourselves and our sin. That it's really spiritual to wallow in that sorrow. But when Nehemiah sees this happening, what does he tell the people? He says, stop crying. He chides them for weeping in response to what they're hearing. And at first, I I read that and I say, that doesn't sound right. Isn't it good that they're weeping? Isn't it good that they're mourning as they're hearing God's word? I mean, they're guilty before God. Shouldn't they be crying? But these verses hit on something that's really important. Yes, God's word leads us to repentance. But true repentance does not leave us feeling like dirt. True repentance leads to joy. God's desire is that his word would bring joy. God wants us to come to understand him and his ways through his word. He wants us to repent of our sin as it's brought to our attention through his word. And then he wants us to joyfully step forward for him, leaving the sin behind us. God wants the cleansing of his word to be a thing of joy, not a thing of sorrow. If we come away from God's word sorrowful, I'm convinced that means we've not allowed God to do his complete work in us through his word. That's not to say we won't sorrow as we come to God's word, but we ought not be left there. Because God's word doesn't just show us that we're sinners, it offers us hope. It offers us a way forward. It offers us the opportunity to to move on for the Lord because he can take care of that sin. We ought with the Jews to come away from our time in God's word with great mirth because we have understood the words that were declared to us. As I really came to understand what's going on in those verses. It was a challenge to me. Because so often I felt spiritual because I've read God's word or heard God's word and felt really bad about myself because of it. And now I realize I'm just not letting God do the complete work he wants to do in me. Even as I teach and preach God's word, sometimes I can feel like my goal in that is to make people feel horrible. I want you to feel like terrible sinners because of what I'm sharing with you. When in reality, my desire ought to be God's desire that you would be able to leave here tonight full of joy because God has done something in your heart through his word and you're going forward for him and saying, praise the Lord, we have understood his word and now we can move forward in obedience. These people are being challenged to come to God's word with joy. Now look with me at verses 13 through 18. Verse 13, and on the second day, 
were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. So this is the second day of the month. The first day of the month, everyone gathered together. On the second day, it's the leaders of the people gathered together. But their desire is the same. They want to understand what's in the law of God. They want to line things up with the nation to, to, so that there'll be an obedience to what God has said in the law. Picking up in verse 14, And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount, and fetch olive branches, and pine branches, and myrtle branches, and palm branches, and branches of thick trees, to make booths, as it is written, or as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim and all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Jeshua the son of Nun unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. So we see them here taking part in a Jewish feast that had not been fully practiced since the days of Joshua. It involves the people building these temporary living structures out of branches and spending a week living in these temporary living structures. And it was something that God had ordained for the people, but it had fallen out of practice. So think about this city. The the people are still rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden you've got these temporary wooden structures everywhere. They're on people's roofs, they're in their courtyards, they're in the streets. Everywhere you look, these temporary wooden structures, and the people are spending the week in them. This shows us something really important about how the people were coming to God's word. They were coming with a commitment to obey. They weren't coming to the word of God out of duty or out of mere curiosity. They were committed to obeying what it said. And in this case, that involves some pretty odd behavior. And it involves something their parents hadn't done, and their grandparents hadn't done, and their great-grandparents hadn't done. And you imagine what other people around them might have thought as they're building these little wooden huts all over the city and say, wow, these people are crazier than we thought. But they say, God wants us to do it. We're going to do it. God says, do it. Yes, sir. Let's do this. Let's, let's obey every bit of this feast that God has given us. And isn't it wonderful that in the very month we're supposed to celebrate the feast that we read about it. And so now we can celebrate the feast. Isn't this great? They're committed to obeying. It's interesting to me too here that it says there was very great gladness. See how the joy and the commitment to obey come together? When we're committed to obey, then we will come to God's word with joy. We'll be excited about what we can find and how we can better serve the Lord. If we're coming to God's word with joy, then we'll be ready to say, God, I'll obey whatever's there. The two go hand in hand. 
These people were committed to obeying God's word. So all of these aspects we've considered, the, the volume, the attention, the reverence, the joy, the commitment to obey, they all played an important role in helping these people receive the cleansing effect of God's word. But there's one thing that I think is really central to all of this, one aspect that I think really helps us get all the rest of it right. An attitude they had as they were coming to God's word that I think helped them in all of these five other areas that we've looked at. And we see that illustrated in the first three verses of the next chapter. So take a look with me at Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Now in the twenty and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Now this is happening just a few days, uh, just a couple of days after they concluded the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. And it told us that all through that Feast of Tabernacles, every day they're reading more from the law of God. And what are they doing now, a couple of days later? They're gathered together again to hear the word of God read. And they're also confessing their sins and the sins of those that went before them. And they're spending time worshiping God. But did you note the attitude with which they came to this meeting? They're fasting. They're wearing sackcloth. So think burlap sack sort of material. Clothes made out of that. Very rough, very plain. And they had to have dirt on their heads. Now what does that reveal about their attitude? Well, these are all marks of humility. They're fasting. They're putting aside the desires of their own flesh. They're wearing this plain humble, ugly clothing as a symbol of how low they are in relation to God and his word. And they are literally putting dirt on their heads to indicate, you know where I am? I'm down here. Now, I'm not suggesting that when you do your Bible reading in the morning that you wear a burlap sack and put dirt on your head, all right? Fasting might be a great idea, but also not necessary. The key that I want to point out here is the attitude that all of those actions reveal. We need to be humble as we come to God's word. We can be tempted to come to God's word like this. I'm, I'm looking down at it. I'm looking at it as something to be analyzed, something to be broken down, something for me to, to, um, to interpret and I'm looking down at God's word. And I am figuring it out. All right? We can also look at it as something, as a resource to serve us in some way. So this is something that I'm grabbing because I want to be inspired. Or I want to learn something interesting. Or I want to be entertained. It's something that is subservient to me. It's something I'm looking down on. I am imposing something on. When in reality, the attitude we need to have, our primary attitude, 
ought to be one of submission. Seeing God's word is above me. Submitting myself to it so that it can analyze me, so that it can break me down, so that it can interpret me. That ought to be our primary attitude when it comes to God's word. Humility before God's word. And that attitude, if we come to God's word with humility, that's going to help us with the reverence and the joy, with a commitment to obey, with giving it our full attention, with desiring more. If we're truly coming in humility, submitting ourselves, then those other things are going to come more or less naturally to us. That attitude will, will help us, and I believe it's key to us experiencing that washing in the water of the word. The nation of Israel certainly experienced that in Nehemiah 8 and on. It had an impact on the entire culture of that group that was rebuilding Jerusalem. Now they certainly had ongoing problems, but what we see in this passage seems to be, to me, to be nothing less than revival. Whatever tag we may put on it, it certainly exemplifies the cleansing power of the word of God. Matthew chapter 23 gives us some of Jesus' most scathing words. Uh, The whole chapter is basically rebuke after rebuke of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. In verses 25 through 28, we find one of those rebukes. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. I don't know your hearts, so I wouldn't begin to try to speak those words directly to anyone in this room tonight. But I know there have been many times in my life that God's spirit needed to speak those words to me. Because we know how to tend the outside. We power wash the siding and the driveway. We paint the trim. We weed the beds. We cut the grass. But if anyone ever stepped inside the front door, maybe your life needs some spiritual spring cleaning today. I'm talking to Christians tonight. We considered earlier in the service the power of God's word for those who don't know Christ to bring them to Christ. But those of us who know Christ also need to be experiencing the power of his word. And one of those areas is this area of cleansing. Those of you who've come to Christ, you've been saved, some of you know that things are not as they ought to be. And maybe you've whitewashed the outside. 
but you know that the inside is full of all kinds of deadness and hypocrisy and uncleanness and iniquity. May I challenge you to turn to the cleansing water of the word. Come with a humble attitude, in reverent joy, committed to giving God's word your full attention and obeying whatever it says, and watch the cleansing water of the word do its work in your life. My desire for myself and for all of us tonight is that it could be said of us what Jesus said of his disciples, John 15, 3. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Whether it's simply a recommitment to consistency in your time in God's word, or tonight God has made it clear to you that you need to carve some time out for some serious time in God's word, letting it do its cleansing work in you, I want to encourage you to humbly submit and commit to obey in whatever area God's spirit has targeted in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that these truths are not just something that we can read about, but something we can experience. I don't think there's probably a Christian in this room who hasn't known a time in their life where they have been um, far from where they ought to be spiritually. Just let things, uh, let laziness lead them to a place where spiritually become cluttered and, and dirty and unuseful. Thank you for the power of your word to cleanse, to wash, to get rid of all that junk and prepare us to be who we ought to be for you. And Lord, I pray that you would do that work in our lives. Lord, we need it every day, but Lord, there may be those tonight who uh, need to spend some serious hours this week with you in the word of God, letting you do that cleansing. We need to take care of it and return to you. Lord, would you just do your work? Help us all to look at your word the way we ought to. May we all come to it humbly and submit ourselves. Lord, work as only you can tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.